Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. Mackenzie. Eva, thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. Eva has a very touching, a very raw, and a very recent story. And uh, today we're going to be chatting with Eva. It's about men's mental health, which is a topic that is coming to the forefront, uh, but has really been buried in society for many years. There's um, a lot of uh, men that feel shameful to talk about their mental health. They're not willing to reach out And so we have Eva here today to be a voice for her lost husband's mental health. And Eva, I'm just going to start by saying thank you so much again for being here. You lost your husband just over a year ago, so there's probably going to be some tears today. And I'm so thankful that you're here to share your story about loss and vulnerability and mental health. You lost your husband to suicide, something that um, I can't even imagine. So... Please share your story with us. Well, first off, it's not that we can't imagine it. It's that we don't want to imagine it. We don't want to go down that dark road in our minds and in our, in our life. But this, I think, is where we start to create a conversation about suicide and suicide awareness. And that's why I want to tell my story. Because, like you said, a lot of men are shameful to say they're not okay, but it's okay not to be okay and to reach out for support and help. So, um, I don't know where you want me to start. If you want me to start with my story. I do. Yeah. Please start with your story and let our listeners get to know you and your story. Um, first off, I want to say how wonderful my husband, Corey was The story I'm about to, to tell shows a dark side, but that was not him. That was his addiction to alcohol, his undiagnosed mental health issues. Um, it wasn't the Corey that I knew. Um, and I just always hoped the man I married would come back. So he was a wonderful, wonderful, loving, caring, funny man. Um, but like I said, in those dark moments, the disease took over. So I want to tell this story because um, if anybody is in similar struggles and let them know not to be embarrassed or ashamed to reach out for help. Um, to, I'll start back about two years before is when it really got bad and his drinking got out of control. Um, he was a his drinking became daily and he started out drinking like just beers or coolers and then he got into the hard alcohol of vodka and um, he became a functional alcoholic he worked every day you know came home to his family he was really dedicated to us um, and uh I could see it 
getting bad, really bad. So I tried everything. I tried to get him arrested. Um, I tried to get him committed to the hospital. I even phoned our GP and told him everything that was going on. I phoned addictions and mental health. Um, I even tracked him on Google just because some days he wouldn't come home and I was so worried about where he was, if he was alive or anything like that. Um, and, um, but you can't help somebody that doesn't want help. My, my saying now is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, you know? And so I think he didn't want to get help because of the shame. He wouldn't even talk to friends or family about his mental health or his addictions. He always said to me, why am I going to put my problems on somebody else? They have their own problems. And then when it came to therapy, I tried to get him to do talk therapy, you know. And he said, why would I talk to somebody that's getting paid to listen to me? They don't care. Um, so he, he was ashamed. And... Uh, I, I, there's a, a, a phrase that's coined, it's called toxic masculinity. I don't know if you've heard that. I have, yes. So it's, the, it's um, the idea that it's unmanly or weak to express one's feelings or to cry. So I think that is where, you know, the men's mental health, we need to get rid of that stigma. So going to that night of August 16th, 2020, me my husband and a mutual friend of ours had just got back to my house um, from going out for dinner and some drinks at a nearby pub and um, we were sitting outside on my patio and uh, Corey had been drinking most of the day um, sitting out in the sun drinking um, and around uh, 10.40 at night me and him got in a little disagreement Nothing too major. And uh, me and my friend went inside the house, left him outside. And so about 10, 15 minutes later, I decide, okay, I'm going to go have an adult conversation, you know, kiss and make up kind of thing, right? And he wasn't outside. And I thought, what? Okay, maybe he went out front to his work van. Maybe he's either out there drinking or he's going to drive to the liquor store or something. So I run out to his work van. No, he's not there. And then we had a liquor store, like a five-minute walk just down our back alley. So I ran in the house. I grabbed my purse and my cell phone. I thought, okay, I'll walk down the back alley to see if I can find him. And we have this big, um, oversized, detached garage in the back. And as I'm passing by it, I notice the lights are off, but we would go out there and have a cigarette sometimes, sit out there and have a cigarette. And um, so I opened the door to our garage, flipped on the light, and turned to the left. And um, saw my husband hanging from an electrical cord. from the tracks of the garage door. Like I said, this was max 15 minutes before I saw him alive. 
And um, I ran inside to my friend, her also being a nurse, and I called for her. She came out too, and um, I cut my husband down and cut the cord off his neck. And uh, my daughter was home. And so she had just had ankle surgery. So she was in a cast. Um, and so I locked the garage door, but I had to open the big garage door for space. And me and my friend started CPR on my husband. We knew he was already gone because he was blue and purple. But we couldn't give up. And um, my daughter had crawled down the stairs outside and around the back of the garage and <laughs> saw us giving her father CPR. That was probably the hardest traumatic day of our lives. The ambulance, <laughs> we had phoned the ambulance too in these moments and um, they went to the wrong house. They finally got there and they worked on him forever. Um, but they couldn't bring him back. So I guess that's where my new journey begins. Wow. I, uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot. And for and also only being a year ago and so fresh in your memory still to talk about it today you know how like what goes through your mind like are you <clears throat> you know telling your story and it's still so fresh even though it's you know it's been a year just over a year like how how have you been able to move I don't want to say move past it because you never move past the loss of a loved one. Move forward. Move forward. Thank you. How have you been able to move forward? And, you know, between raising your daughter that also witnessed that, um, being able to get yourself up and go to work. And, you know, what have you done to, to be able to, yeah, work through this? It is slowly, I, I don't even want to say getting better, but uh, it's slowly getting that I can slowly take one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, like I took six months off work. Uh, for three months, I don't think me and my daughter got out of bed. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I literally tell people, Take it one second at a time, mm -hmm. then one minute at a time, then five minutes, then an hour. You know, move yourself up because we all grieve and cope differently and there's no time limit on grief. Mm -hmm. So um, I had a good friend come into my life and they got me out of bed and um, got me going on hikes and Help me get out of that really bad depression. I'm gonna. I won't say that I'm out of it, and same mm -hmm. with my daughter. But you have no choice to keep going. I have to pay the bills. I gotta, you know, help ra like raise my daughter. 
even though she's older, but she has mental health issues and cognitive difficulties. So I, I'm raising her and still trying to deal with my husband's, um, like he owned a company, like a self-proprietor company that I'm still dealing with. And um, I lost my mom six weeks after my husband. Oh my gosh. Um, I... So you just like I said, you just don't have a choice and like going to work, it is very hard, very hard to get out of bed sometimes and go to work and, and being a nurse, you're always caring for people, even and you're trying to care for yourself. And but in the beginning when I first back, went back to work, um, Corey would pop into my head and he still does multiple times a day and but it was more like the image, like the PTSD. But now I've learned and it's not a bad thing. It's a survivor mode that I push it into the back of my head because when I'm at work, I need to be working. I need to be able to provide safe and quality care. You know, when I come home, then I deal with my home life and can deal with my emotions more. I, I do at work ha go on emotional roller coasters, but I, like I said, my work has been so, so supportive. Mm -hmm wonderful to hear yeah. especially as a nurse in this environment are you what type of nurse are you I'm a practical nurse okay. yeah and I work um, in long-term care okay. um, it's been my first job as a nurse and my only job as a nurse and I've been there almost 10 years oh, wow. so um, and yeah do you find that work like through this has been I don't want to say healing but it's allowed you to focus on something else during that time like it you know obviously you took six months off which is well you know, you probably really needed that. But then to be able to go back and focus on something else, has that helped healing? Absolutely, because I've, it, it does focus your mind on something else. Like I said, things do pop in my head, but I'm getting, uh, I'm better able to, um, you know, focus when I'm at work um, better and, and work being so supportive, that also helps me so I've always been a nurturer so when I'm there I can learn to laugh and care and um, the staff I work with the residents I work with like I said I've known most of them 10 years mm -hmm. so it's like home away from it home it, it really is yeah. it really really is and I think that's why I've never left my job it is like yeah. my second home well actually my first home yeah <laughs> there most of the time <laughs> And so. so talk to me, Eva, about um, what you've had to do. You know, you went through, and I, I know that grieving never ends. So when I say you went through the six months of grieving, I'm not insinuating it stopped. I know that it doesn't. You went through six months of taking time off of work, spending time at home with your daughter. And, you, you know, you said you, I had a friend that got me out of bed. What type of work have you had to do on yourself or with your daughter? Have you, did you seek professional help? Did you... Did you go into kind of the depths of despair and start drinking more, start, you know, what was that process of healing like after? Um, those first three months when me and my daughter, like she slept in, we slept in the same, like my king size bed together, or whatever, we just wanted to keep each other company. And yeah, we, um, we both went into the darkness and uh, started drinking and you know, our sleep schedule was all messed up, and uh, I think he just hit a 
roadblock, I don't know what you want to call it, and you go, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and I think, and I talked to my daughter about it, I'm like, we're going to be where your dad is if we continue down this road. Um, with my daughter, it's been a lot harder. Um, obviously, it's affected both of our mental health um, and emotionally. Um, it took a toll on me and my daughter's relationship. Um, you know, there's so many cycles of, of grief stages. Um, and I think she was so angry, but her dad wasn't here to take that anger out on. So mom was. Um, so we've had a lot of life changes. Um, she, she moved out. Um, I help her obviously, um, cause she's like on disability and, um, but in these last few months, our relationship has done a 180 mm -hmm. and we can be friends and mom and daughter again and spend a lot of time together when we can. So, and then also I did, I reached out to CMHA and they unfortunately are the only um, therapy, therapy group or individual therapy that focus on suicide bereavement in all mm -hmm. of Calgary. Um, I would love to see that change, um, especially because the intake is such a long wait. And in any sort of therapy setting, your um, wait times are huge. And that's where our mental health system definitely needs to change. Um, so I did that. Again, unfortunately, I went through three therapists because they kept going into private practice. And my last therapy session was in January, and I definitely know I need to get back into it. It's just so frustrating. Unfortunately for my daughter, she um, is, is not taking the help. She's not there yet. And it used to frustrate me and upset me. Still frustrates me because I know she needs the help too, but she'll get there. I believe she'll get there. When she's ready, mm -hmm. she'll let me know. Um, but I definitely keep a close eye on her. <laughs> well, and it sounds like you can now because you have a better relationship, a yes. healthier relationship. Yes, that's a better way of saying it. And so, Eva, what have you done, like, for, you know, now, you know, fast forward just over a year, like, what do you do to keep yourself in check, like, for self-care? Um... <laughs> That's one thing I'm not very good at. <laughs> um, in all the therapy I've done, and even in the past, right, um, <laughs> my therapist always say, Eva, you're not very good at self-care. And I definitely am not, because even since I was younger, um, I always was that person to care and care about everybody else. Mm -hmm. So it's that's one thing that I need to promise myself to do. Um, and I'm slowly getting there. Um, you know, if it be, I love crafting to, like I haven't, and I used to be in the arts before I got into nursing and, um, I put it away for quite a few years. And so now I like to paint or I like to make my own home decor. Um, a stress relief for me is cooking and baking. Mm. 
And so that's what I kind of like to do when I'm in my spare time. And, and I'm very self-aware of my emotions and my feelings. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps from my past um, therapy, group sessions, online, whatever. So when I feel I'm getting down that deep, dark hole like I, that I can't crawl out of, um, I, I'm, I can reach out for help. I know the resources. Um, go to my doctor. There's also, you know, the distress center I've used and the mobile response team I've used multiple times. Oh, that's good. So you're not scared to ask for help. Never. Yeah, which is wonderful. I always say that's a sign of strength. You know, I wish more men would reach out and ask for help because I think they see it as a sign of weakness when yep. in fact it's a sign of strength. Yeah, and like I have to say with my husband, I, I can see being with my husband, I was, you know, 28 years, um, I, I could see his father's the same way though too, right? Um, he is a workaholic like my husband was. He, that's where I think they, how they deal with their... Um, demons. demons, issues. So it, I think it's definitely genetics and, and environment and um, it's a learned, it's learned. Mm -hmm. So when you look back, were there signs that makes you think, oh, okay, Corey, I, I see that you were crying, you know, asking for help, but not asking for help. Like, you know, it's, I, I mean, in the moment, you never necessarily think that, but when you have time to reflect and look back, you're like, yes, I saw these signs or, you know, do you, do you think that, or was there just no signs? Um, there was times when I, I'm starting to put puzzle pieces together, but definitely I, you know, like even, so we moved into our house in 2014 and, um, I found him and he was drinking back then, but not, like I said, like he was, um, I found him in our garage making a noose. And he told me that that was a, you know, basically it was a cry for help. And we tried to get him help then, but he, again, too shameful. He'd been on and anti tried antidepressants, but didn't like the side effects, you know. Um, and then it kind of disappeared, right? And then... Every, like he was in the construction industry, like I said, he would come home every night and have a bath. And probably, you know, a few years prior, I would catch him having a full-on conversation to himself. And I had I'd bring up multiple times, "Hey, Cor, do you think you have schizophrenia or some sort of mental health illness?" Or you know, because I I found out that. Uh, you know, it does run in his side of the family, bipolar, schizophrenia, and there's some other uh, mental health issues, and it runs on both of our sides, but um, mental health does. But um, he goes, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm just working things out in my head, which, you know, okay, yeah, we all I, do. I, yeah, I'd we be all. like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I, that makes I sense. I sometimes talk to myself, yeah. maybe not full-on conversations, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So, and then... Um, you know, there, there's signs, and like, being a nurse, I was like, I should have seen these signs. I should have seen these signs. But I think also people are scared to ask the hard questions. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, are you, are, how are you feeling? Um, do you want to, do you feel like, or want to harm yourself? 
do you have a plan? Because I don't think people really want to know. Those are hard questions to ask, yeah. right? But so important ones. Yeah, and I, you know, I saw, you know, the signs that people might not see that are suicidal, like his personality really changed. Um, he started getting like really verbally aggressive, but I thought maybe he was stressed at work, you know? Um, definitely the increase alcohol where I think that was where I really started going, okay, something's going on. Um, and the impulsiveness of, you know, drinking and driving or drinking at work. Um, mood swings, mood swings. Oh my gosh. The dramatic mood swings where people might think, oh, this person's just having a bad day. They think, when somebody's suicidal or having suicidal thoughts, they're always sad or depressed or, you know, looking. But especially with men, depression and mental illness can be way different, the signs, than a female. Mm -hmm. So I should have, you know, I think the biggest thing is the irritability and the aggression for a man and definitely... Um, the abuse of drugs or alcohol, mm -hmm. the increase of that. And men are less likely to attempt suicide, but are more likely to complete it because they do it more violently. Oh, okay. Where women will attempt it more frequently, usually by an yes. overdose or something, yeah. but they usually survive. Yeah. What would you like people to remember Corey as? Mm. There were so many great things about him. Like I said, he was so dedicated to friends, family, me and Sydney. He would take his shirt off his back for anybody. We've had so many people in our homes to help in need, from my friends to my daughter's friends. Um, he also was actually a very funny guy. He'd tell awful, awful bad dad jokes, <laughs> you know? And Sydney would have all her friends over and go, oh, dad, <laughs> you know? You're embarrassing me, you know? So, you know, just what a wonderful, wonderful man. Don't remember him for that, mm -hmm. you know? Remember, I miss, you know, his presence every day, yeah. his his hugs, his kisses, his voice, mm. you know. So, and I think people that know him would agree with everything I just said. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they would. Yeah. Well, like you said, you saw a change in him. You said in the last couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. But prior to that, he was for many years the Corey that you married, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I had, uh, I dated a fellow years ago and a um, number of years after we had broken up and I had met my husband, he took his own life. And I remember at that time, I didn't know him as well as I did, you know, s seven, eight years prior to that when I had dated him. And I remember people saying that the, the Adam that you knew that when you dated him was not the Adam when he took his life. He 
struggled with mental illness. He was tormented. And they said he wasn't the Adam that you knew. And so that really kind of resonated with me when you said that, that you had, you know, 25, 26 beautiful years with this man. And, you know, those are the memories that, you know, you probably hang on to every day to keep his memory alive. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, you know, and that's uh, one thing I do want when you say torment. That's one thing I want people to understand about um, suicide, mental illness, is... um, there's two sides, you, you know, I, I don't blame Corey. I, I, you'll hear a lot of people say it's such a selfish yes, act. Yes, I heard that. And that upsets me. If I can not blame my husband, then you shouldn't be able to say that. I think a lot of people need to be more educated and knowledgeable on uh, mental health and suicide because those people that are in that moment and I don't really think my husband would have took his life that night if it wasn't for the alcohol I still am waiting on the toxicology report yeah um I know he was intoxicated but I would just for myself I want to see how um but you know when you're in that moment he's they just want the relentlessness the extreme mental pain and anguish to go away but they're also thinking about their loved ones because they know the pain that they're feeling they've put on their Mm -hmm. loved ones too the damage that is caused even when they're alive because when they're going through a depression the whole family's going through Mm -hmm. a depression right Um, because of their actions behaviors whatever right um, un- unfortunately, unbeknownst to, to him, the extreme pain that he was feeling that in that moment, he, he has now left on us tenfold. Mm-hmm. Again, I still stay, say it might be a conundrum, I don't know. I still say it's not selfish um, because to put blame is so debilitating and torturous. Mm. So I don't blame him. Mm. And that's a part of probably your healing. You don't want to harbor resentment towards a man that you have a daughter with and that we're that you know we're married to mm-hmm. for 28 years and that loved and I'm so happy that you shared that because I have heard that it's very I think it's very common to hear that you know taking your own life is very selfish but in what you're saying and what I'm hearing from you is perhaps people take their own life to in their minds to relieve the anguish from the people around them because they may feel like a burden to others yes burden that's a good one yes and i really do think a lot of people think my family will be better off without me and and i know Corey has said that in the past but again and I said to you before we went on air, I, I, I really disliked that word strong, mm-hmm. but I thought Corey was stronger than that. Mm-hmm. I really didn't think, I thought he would fight through it. So, yeah, I think he did do it for us. Um, he did it for the pain and the torture of those demons. Like, those demons are talking to him at that moment. Yeah. And like I said, it only takes a split second to complete suicide. Yeah. So, and that, uh, 
that also, you know, after his death, it took me a long time to get over with my, I didn't want to leave my daughter on my site. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you for know? sure. You were so scared of losing her. <laughs> yep. I'm yeah. like, that's all we have you left. You became this helicopter mom probably, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. I totally did. Yeah. Um, because me and my daughter are pretty much the only family we have left now. Um, like, um, unfortunately, um, me and her were blamed for his death mm. from some family members on his side. Um, we would get text messages saying, I don't know if I can say it, uh, um, calling us um, killers mm. and don't kill anybody else, bitch. Mm. Um, we bullied him into suicide. Um, I'm so sorry. So, yeah, I say really it's just me and her, and so we're each other's rocks now. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I say it. If we can do it and survive, a lot of people can. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. And believe me, there's days where you will feel like you want to give up. Mm-hmm. But you don't have a choice in the matter either, especially when you have kids. And like I said, I know mine's 22, but if I'm gone... Who's going to take care of her? Who's going to take care of her? Who yeah. does she have left? Yeah. So you keep going on. So when you think of, you know, your past year, two years, and what you've been through and where you are today, what do you vow to yourself? Well, that goes back to what I mentioned about um, self-care, because self-care is so, so important. We all need to attend to our physical and mental well-being because if we don't, that's when we get burnt out. That's when we start going down that path of um, depression. Um, But a lot of people think that self-care is maybe selfish. But I'm learning. Mm-mm. <laughs> no, it's not. So, so important. So important. So you know, if it be going for a walk, yeah. uh, you know, go get a pedicure. Mm-hmm. You know, um, bake, bake, craft, craft. You know, do something for yourself. Mm-hmm. So that that is what I vow to myself. And like I said, it's been a struggle for for myself for years, but. Through this turmoil, I know now how important mm-hmm. it is. You have to feel good about yourself yes. to be there for others, right? Exactly. Uh, that is a really good point. You you have to look after yourself and be healthy before you can look after anybody else. That is so true, and I always say that. So I can't help my daughter, I can't help my patients, I can't help my friends if I'm not okay. That's right, yeah. So. And did, did you and do you have, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, it's just you and your daughter from a family perspective, but yeah. have you had some good friends throughout this that have been, you've been able to lean on? Because I think, you know, therapy is obviously very important in seeking professional help. Um, also surrounding yourself by, you know, the people that love you and support you and believe in you. So have you had that support? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tell you, suicide death really um, 
teach you who your true friends and family are. I've actually had people that I don't expect, barely know, don't know, and, and like staff from work, um, be there a support for me, bring me and my daughter dinner, bring us just little, you know, presence, you know, it, it, it really surprised me. And it gives you faith back in, in society yeah. and humanity and how wonderful and, and that meant to us, like buy us groceries because mm-hmm. I didn't leave the house for months. Uh-huh. I was, I couldn't, I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, um, I didn't start driving again till October because um, I was just so nervous and scared. So yeah, I, I am so thankful and appreciative to these people. I'd have a friend drive out for, I think, the first two weeks from Canmore every day. Wow. Just to make sure I was okay. Wow. That's wonderful. That's pro- you know, those friendships probably got you through that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, those, those people, definitely, I hope they know who they are and... and uh, know that they really supported me and my daughter and helped us through the dark times. Yeah. Eva, we always like to spotlight an organization or charity of choice. And um, you've obviously been through a crazy last 12, 18 months. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear who you would like to spotlight today. So um, who I'd like to spotlight today is an organization um, it's a nonprofit organization, community organization. Uh, it's called the Inner Man Project Foundation. I actually came across them maybe a month after my husband died. I, I think I was like Googling suicide or, you know, suicide bereavement or something like that. And they popped up and I got a hold of um, one of the gentlemen that uh, founded the organization. And uh, sorry, it just hit so close. Um, because one of the gentlemen I talked to, Dylan, um, I reached out to him and phoned him, and I think we probably had a two-hour conversation. Oh. And uh, this organization is is for men. It focuses on men. Um, so the focus of the Inner Man Project is to end the stigma surrounding men's mental health, to create an open dialogue about mental health and mental illness, and to become a safe place for those struggling so the Inner Man Project, they um, are based out of Medicine Hat, and um, they were recently um, recognized provincially and federally by the government, and they were able to open a community center in Medicine Hat where they hold um, uh, men's peer groups. Um, they are expanding. They've expanded. They have peer groups in Calgary now. I apologize. I'm not sure where they are being held. Um, but I'm sure if you reach out to them, them, they can let you know, and they continue to expand their, um, peer groups throughout, um, Alberta, actually. Um, they can be found on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and, um, they actually also have a podcast, um, called the inner man show. Okay. So wonderful. It's a, a great, uh, tool and a great, um, Uh, tip for Mm -hmm. our listeners and you know the the women and men that are listening if you know of somebody that um, 
you know, could use this organization, um, please reach out to them. I know that Medicine Hat has been hit very hard. That's why they yeah, did it. with suicide. I know yep. they, they had six deaths to suicide within like a five-month period or something. It was horrific. Yep. We, you know, heard about it through a friend of mine who is from Medicine Hat. And so just a town struck with tragedy. Um, so I think it's beautiful that they've, you know, started this organization Eva, thank you so much for being here today. I get emotional just hearing your story and that you were able to share this and be so vulnerable um, so shortly after Corey's death. And if we have one listener that um, can can hear your story and uh, be touched, then it, it's worth this podcast. That and, it can affect somebody's life. That, and that's another reason I did it. If I can help one person not be embarrassed or ashamed or hear my story and go, oh, I'm not alone. Yes. You know, and like I said, me, my daughter, my husband all um, struggle with mental health. And if me and my daughter can walk this journey and, you know, make it through the other side here, okay, so can you. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.